You're listening to Current with Valerie Hayes. Welcome back to the show. Today we're talking about issues that impact the cost of health care. And of course, you can't discuss health care without discussing Obamacare. As you may recall, one of the justifications or, or reasons that legislators passed Obamacare, known also as the Affordable Health Care Act, was that it would actually stop and hopefully even reverse the dramatic increases in health care costs that individuals are seeing. This year, due to the upcoming presidential elections, Everybody seems to have an opinion about whether or not Obamacare is a success. Candidates on the left want to expand Obamacare and include even more people and make it even a bigger, more broad-reaching program. And candidates on the right are promising to repeal it and replace it with something totally different. With all of the rhetoric, it's hard to know where we're really at with Obamacare. So let's take a few moments to discuss some of the concepts behind the Affordable Health Care Act and why everyone seems to have conflicting opinions about whether or not it's working. Many people don't realize that there were actually only two very simple goals for the for the Affordable Health Care Act. The first goal or what they wanted to achieve was to provide increased access to affordable quality health care insurance. Notice I didn't say increased access to health care. Health care is when you go to the doctor and you have your appointment or you go to the hospital and have your surgery. That's health care or health care services. I said health care insurance. Prior to Obamacare, there about 17% of the population did not was not able to actually purchase health care insurance. That means that either they had um, medical conditions that the health insurance industry wouldn't cover, they had fallen victim to one of the health insurance industry's practices that prevented them from purchasing insurance, or insurance that would be available to them was so expensive that they couldn't afford it on their family budget. So the first goal was to provide increased access to affordable quality health care insurance. I'm going to talk a little bit in a few minutes about how they were going to do that. The second goal was to reduce the growth in health care spending. Health care spending prior to Obamacare was about 17% of the gross national product, which means that just health care expenditures accounts for almost one-fifth of um, America's budget, so to speak. We're spending approximately one-fifth of our money, of our national budget, on health care expenditures, which is very, very high compared to other westernized countries who have you know, a good quality of life and good health care in place. And not only that, but prior to Obamacare, health care insurance was uh, health care costs, so the cost of insurance, the cost of prescription drugs, the cost of a surgery was growing at about 5.3% per year, which when you compare that to inflation and perhaps the increase, the annual increase in your salary, how much you're making at your part-time or full-time job, or how much your family is making, um, healthcare costs were growing at 5.9%. Um, inflation was significantly less than that, in some places about 2.3-2.9%. So as you can see, healthcare costs prior to Obamacare were increasing faster than um, your salary or your family budget was going up. And so obviously this was a concern for people. Um, healthcare spending was expected to go from the current 17% of gross national product to about 22% within the next 5 to 10 years. So you can see where people would be concerned about stopping the increase of healthcare spending and perhaps reducing it. 
Let's talk about how they planned to achieve those two goals. So going back again to that first goal, increased access to affordable quality health care insurance. That was the first goal, remember. Um, one of the things that Obamacare did was it required insurance companies to allow individuals to purchase uh, health care insurance, regardless of any pre-existing condition. What is a pre-existing condition? You've probably heard about this in the news or read about it um, online. A pre-existing condition is a medical condition that at one point was considered a serious life-threatening medical condition by the insurance companies. Um, and so if you developed that medical condition, they would cut off your health insurance and say, you don't qualify anymore, you're too sick for us to cover, and you couldn't purchase new insurance with a new insurance company because you had a pre-existing condition. Examples of a pre-existing condition are at the time were any type of cancer, um, skin cancer, maybe you had breast cancer, uh, maybe you had a gynecological cancer, uterine, uterine cancer, cervical cancer, um, lung cancer, uh, brain tumor, those kinds of things would all, all obviously be included in that. Maybe you had had a heart attack. Maybe you had type 1 or type 2 diabetes. Now, at one point in you know the medical history of our country, those conditions were considered Considered serious life-threatening conditions. There was a time where if you were diagnosed with cancer, it was very, very unlikely that you would live past the five-year mark. And so insurance companies would um, cut off those patients, those um, consumers who had purchased their health care insurance. They would cut them off and say, we're not going to cover you anymore because you're going to die in five years anyway. So what's the point? We're not going to give you... provide coverage for medical procedures that really aren't going to extend your life or add to the quality of your life. But as you know, medical science has um, come a long way since those times of the 50s, 60s, and perhaps 70s. And, uh, you know, cancer is no longer a diagnosis that means you're no longer going to be living after five years. Many people can have a first or second heart attack and still live 15, you know, 20, even 30 years because of changes in lifestyle that they might be making or the types of um, medical care that they're getting. So um, what, what essentially was happening with the pre-existing condition clause was that health insurance companies were only providing health insurance to the healthy, and as soon as you got sick, they pro- paid those bills that they were required to pay, and then they cut you off. So the first thing it did was eliminate the pre-existing clause so that more Americans um, could get the health care coverage, get access to the health care coverage that they needed. Um, they also uh, in, included a clause that prevents insurance companies from dropping you when we, you become sick. Remember we talked about how if you developed a pre-existing condition, the insurance company would cover that and pay those bills, but then they would cut you off and they would terminate your um, insurance because you were now sick. But the theory was, well, isn't that what you buy health insurance for so that you have coverage when you're sick? But the health insurance companies were all cutting people off after they became sick, and Obamacare eliminated that option so they're no longer allowed to do that. Another way that they extended coverage to more people was to allow children to stay on their parents' plan up to age 26, whether they whether or not they were school or even perhaps married. Um, this was because many 
students now who are pursuing college or trying to, you know, get a great job or career going right after high school, it's taking them longer to get to an earning level where they're earning enough to support themselves. We've all heard about the millennial generation having to move back home after college or not being able to move out after high school because they just can't get that job going on because of our economy. And um, if they can't get that job and career pointed in the right direction and really be uh, self-sustaining, they're probably not able able to purchase health care insurance on their own or qualify through health care insurance through their employer. And so one of the ideas was if we um, require health insurance companies to cover children, dependent children, until age 26, that that's going to help people have a little more time after college or high school to kind of get their career point in the right direction so that they can be self-sustaining and purchase their own insurance. And then... Uh, it also set up state exchanges for individuals to purchase insurance who aren't covered by other plans. I'm sure you're aware that the vast majority of Americans who have health care insurance are covered through their employers. Their employer offers a variety of health care insurance plans um, for the employee to select from that the employer then pays a certain portion of the premium cost and the employee also makes a contribution as well. And... Um, but there's a, a large percentage of the population that does not work for a company that provides health care insurance. Um, uh, a couple of reasons why a company might not provide health care insurance is because they don't have, they have a hundred or fewer employees or because all of their employees are part-time. Obamacare doesn't require companies to cover all employees. It only co- uh, requires employers to cover all employees who are full-time. And full-time is defined as 30 hours a week or more. And so... Um in order to provide insurance options for employees who don't have insurance through their employer, they created what are called state exchanges, where essentially it's kind of like a co-op buying group where everyone in that state um, has access to a couple of different insurance plans to choose from, and then they kind of use their combined buying power, just like a company uses the combined buying power of its employees to purchase health insurance. The state exchanges use the combined buying power of people who are enrolled in the state exchange to purchase health care plans from private insurers and private organizations, which then the individuals who probably wouldn't be able to purchase insurance at all or wouldn't be able to purchase at a reduced price because they don't have that bigger buying power. So those um, individuals are able to purchase through um, these state exchanges. Why are we trying to increase um, the number of people purchasing health care insurance? Because the concept was that if there were a lot of people purchasing health care insurance, that would drive down the growing cost of health care. One of the reasons why health care costs was increasing so quickly is when people are not insured, um, they don't tend to go to the doctor and they don't tend to um, have preventative wellness checkups. Uh, they don't take their babies in for wellness appointments to get their immunizations and check and make sure that any little tiny problem that's developing is nipped in the bud before it becomes a big problem. Um, um, or if they don't have a doctor that if their child falls at home and they can go to the doctor and get stitches for their child, they'll go to the emergency room. And the reason why they do that is because emergency rooms are required to pay to treat all individuals who come in regardless of their ability to pay. So the person comes in, gets treated, um, the person is not able to pay the bill, the insurance, uh, the hospital, 
no insurance company here. The hospital has to be able to, you know, pay their bills. They have to pay the rent on the building and the facility costs and they have to pay the salaries of their nurses. So what do they do to cover the costs of the uninsured that they're required by law to treat at the hospitals? Well, they increase my bill and your bill and your neighbor's bill the next time they go in. If we all pay a little bit more on our bills, they think, that will cover the costs of these people who are coming in and not able to cover their own costs because either they're too poor or they don't have health care insurance. So the concept was that if everyone had access to health care insurance, we could reduce the number of people that are being treated for free, essentially, by medical service care providers. And if uh, those service care providers are now getting insurance payments because everyone is covered, then that would hopefully, you know, reduce my bill and your bill and your neighbor's bill because we're no longer being required to pay for someone else who doesn't have coverage. The second goal, as you recall, was to reduce the growth of health care spending. So there were a lot of reasons that insurance companies prior to Obamacare were increasing health care premiums. One of the the most egregious or most um, most people felt was the most um, unusual and objectionable reasons for charging higher health care premiums was insurance companies were high, charging higher premiums for women than they were for men. Now, this isn't necessarily something that's happening um, at a big company, but if you were an individual or a small business owner, um, they were charging you higher premiums for men than they were for women. Uh, The insurance companies would tell you that the reason for this is because women tend to... um, Keep, you make and keep more doctor's appointments than men do. And so there was a higher, um, uh, higher probability that women would go to the doctor. So their healthcare costs over a year were higher than men. Um, most people found this to be objectionable. They felt that because women were being charged higher premiums than men, that this was a policy or a practice in the health insurance industry that reduced uh, the likelihood that women would go and get treatment. And remember, we're trying to reduce costs. So if women don't go in and get preventative treatment, if they don't go in and get their mammogram every year, or if they don't go in you know, and get their well baby checks while they're pregnant, then a situation can develop that is ultimately more expensive and takes longer to fix from a healthcare perspective than if they had nipped it in the bud. And they also wanted to uh, reduce the growth of healthcare spending by stopping unjustified rate hikes. Many people complained that insurance companies were just randomly increasing rates just to make themselves rich, just for profits. And there is some data that does support that. Um, we certainly understand that corporations are in place to make money, obviously, but we don't necessarily agree as a country that they should be an unjustified increase in rates hikes so that they're making a lot of money, but at the same time, um, it's really pinching people's pocketbooks. Um, uh, as I mentioned, Obamacare requires uh, employers, large employers, to cover full-time in people a full-time employee, and it also defined 10 essential benefits that the government felt would enable people to be healthier. And uh, remember, I talked with uh, my first guest, Sam, about if you're healthier, that does reduce your overall health care costs. And the essential benefits they included um, include hospitalization, so that's included in every health care plan, maternity and pediatric coverage included in every health care plan, prescription drug coverage, preventative medicine, such is immunization and cancer screenings. So the so one of the ways they were
were trying to reduce the cost of healthcare coverage was to have these preventative things in place to have wellness checkups for, for pregnant women and young children to have prescription drug coverage so that people who had a medical condition were taking their prescription drugs. They weren't just randomly stopping taking their drugs um, because if you stop taking your drugs because you can't afford them, obviously you might develop a condition which is even more serious and uh, more medically challenged that costs more in the future. So there were uh, a variety of things that they put in place to try to help reduce the growth of healthcare spending. So those are the two goals that they were trying to achieve and I know that that's a lot of information to swallow, and, and we're having a great conversation about healthcare costs, but it's time for a quick break. So don't go anywhere because when we come back, I'm going to talk about those goals again and discuss whether or not Obamacare, the Affordable Health Care Act, actually seems to be working. So what's working and what's not? So stay tuned, and we'll be right back here on Current. Hi, this is Valerie Hayes, and I want to let you in on a secret. I've just created the perfect do-it-yourself coaching resource to help you learn how to improve your own pageant interview skills. My Mastering the Pageant Interview DIY coaching resource includes three downloadable audio files plus transcripts for easy resource. You'll learn how to spot and handle trick questions, the correct length of an interview answer, three tips for closing an answer when you're struggling, my easy technique for answering controversial questions, two secrets for a winning onstage interview, plus much, much more. Just download the audio files and transcripts to your computer and listen when you're working out, doing something around the house, or really just about any time. What could be more convenient? To get your copy of Mastering the Pageant Interview, just visit my website at ValerieHayes.com and click on the Winning Interview tab to order yours today. It really is that simple to quickly learn tips and techniques that will help create your winning interview. Have you seen the brand new line of pageant, prom, wedding, and elegant evening jewelry by couture designer Stephanie Summers? Her custom couture line established Stephanie as the leading pageant jewelry designer, and now she's created a budget-friendly jewelry line so that anyone can look amazing in one of her designs. Shop-StephanieSummers.com has your style in the perfect color you're looking for. So visit Shop-StephanieSummers.com today and enjoy knowing that even though you stayed on budget, you look like a million. Are you totally stressed out about tough current events questions for your next pageant? Well, I've got a solution for your current events nightmare. Everyone feels overwhelmed by the time it takes to keep up on current events. But I've solved that for you with my weekly current events update. You'll get an email each week summarizing the top stories, plus you'll get sample questions to practice on your own. So visit my website at ValerieHayes.com, and you'll be ready to rock those current event questions at your next pageant. Are you a pageant contestant in Arkansas, Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, or Oklahoma? If so, Van Brosen Associates can help make your pageant dreams a reality. Van Brosen Associates are the producers of Miss USA and Miss Teen USA state pageants in the five states of Arkansas, Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, and Oklahoma. To find out more, go to vanbrose.com and connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash vanbrose. Once again, that's vanbrose.com. V-A-N-B-R-O-S dot com. Are you ready to be Miss USA? 